0: Today, a Fulton County
2: grand jury returned a true bill of indictment
0: charging 19 individuals with violations of Georgia law arising from a criminal conspiracy
2: to overturn the results of the 2020 presidential
0: election in this state.
3: Hey, everybody. Welcome into an all-new episode of the Can We Please Talk podcast. As always, I'm Mike Leon. And
2: not caught yet for exploiting my children by taking their future earnings. I'm Nick Saveri. Oh, we're going to get into that in a little bit. Uh, On the program today, former President
3: Donald John Trump is moments away from a potential fourth indictment. As a matter of fact, as you're listening to this, he's already been indicted on 10 counts. Ohio voters unanimously said no to a referendum on abortion. Plus, later on in the program, the host of the Talk in Politics and Religion Without Killing Each Other podcast, Corey Nathan's going to be joining us. He's going to talk about his show that is so well titled. I mean, religion and politics are intertwined at times. Should they be? Plus, the work the team is doing over at DemocracyGroup.org, which is part of the podcast network that Corey is a part of. So, Corey, later on in the program, quick shout outs real quick. First, a shout out to my buddy, high school friend of mine texted me the other day, Nick, you'll get a kick out of this. Mark Frischione, texted me. He's like, man, I'm so proud of you. love the show. I love getting texts like that, that just kind of reach back into, you know, like your yesteryears, friends of yours that, you know, you just kind of grown up. You, you take a look at your high school yearbook and, you know, the, the guy wrote me a great message back then. Can't wait to see you on TV. He wrote ESPN at the time. Uh, I went into politics and news, so a little bit different, but you still see me on TV. Mark. So I love you, buddy, and I hope everything's well out your way up there in Tampa. So shout out to him for sending me that message. And then something that I saw over the last couple of weeks, and it's been playing out last few days, excuse me, um, that I want to talk about here is before I say hello to you, Nick, Hawaii needs our help, folks. You know, the images and videos you have probably seen on social media, on TV, they're horrific. And all the reporting says it's even worse on the ground. Over 95 people so far have died in these tragic fires. And we here at the show, we want to do something to help. And you can too. Go to the link in our show notes right now, or you can visit redcross.org backslash local backslash Hawaii to help donate to the good folks that are out there that are displaced in Hawaii. Uh, tons of great places. To donate out there, um, you can go. Hold, you can go over to CNBC. Had a great article about a few foundations that are doing stuff to provide disaster relief. The Maui Strong Foundation, which is run by the Hawaii Community, uh, Community Foundation, they're accepting donations. I mentioned the Red Cross of Hawaii. Aloha United Way is a nonprofit organization that's based in Honolulu that set up a dedicated fund for victims of the wildfire. And then the Maui Food Bank and Humane Society are all accepting donations and seeking contributions. Like I said, there's a link right now to a few of these spots in our show notes. Um, Nick, I I, I did want to say hello to you, obviously, and find out how you're doing and stuff like that. But I want to mention this at the top because I saw a video um, before we started recording. And we're going to get into some of the stuff happening in news and politics. But I saw a video Of a guy in Ohio, um, excuse me, a guy in Hawaii, I got Ohio on my mind, a guy in Hawaii, Mike Ciccioni, uh, I hope I'm saying his name correctly like that. He went on News Nation, uh, he lives out in Hawaii. He got into an unfortunate situation where he was trapped with his car and they were close to the the, uh, waterfront, to the ocean, Um, as you're going to hear in the clip, because I want to play it here because I want to spotlight this story. So many people are going through this stuff that's happening in Hawaii. And he told his wife, and I'm going to cry when I say this. He told his wife, don't worry about me if you can't make it. Like, you know, take care of yourself. And they we're in the ocean for hours. I want you to take a listen to Mike describe what happened to him on News Nation. Take a listen to
1: this. We, we see the images of, of Front Street, and you are right. It became a death trap, and people uh, in those scorched cars, they either made it into the water, or they died in those cars. I want to ask you, once you made it to the water, um, what was that... Exp- I'm so sorry. Okay. What, what was that experience uh-huh. like? Because I think a lot of, a lot of people hear, yeah, oh, it's, it's an island, make it to the ocean. But, but you were there for hours, and that is not a safe area to be in as well. There are some people who didn't make it through the night in, in the ocean.
0: The fire was going into the ocean. Um, The best thing that I, the best way to explain it, was a continuous bomb going off. Uh, We were able to save four out of the five dogs. Um, We they we had two with us. Two of them were found later. One is still missing, which is Asher, chocolate lab that everybody's still looking for. We spent about three hours in total in the water, if not more. Keep in mind, this is over a 12-hour period. At times, I, I remember just telling her to make sure that she saves herself. Don't worry about, you know, if I start drowning out here, you save yourself.
3: If I start drowning, you save yourself, man. I saw this on social media. You know, sometimes we, you know, criticize social media for the bad that it does. But then there's the good that it does where maybe you don't even know what News Nation is, right? You don't even know what these segments are, but telling these stories to the folks that are out there being affected by these wildfires. I saw that on my Instagram feed today, and I said, I wanted to spotlight this just at the top before we get into the serious stuff. But I mean, this is serious stuff as well, right? This stuff, you know, houses being lost, but more importantly, loss of life. Uh, Folks that will never, they're not with us anymore, Um, I don't really know how to say I'm at a loss for words for it. And all I can tell you folks out there listening as people have been posting this stuff is to donate, uh, red backslash local backslash Hawaii, or some of the other links that we're going to put in our show notes page, Maui strong foundation, Aloha United Way. I mentioned a bunch of them before Nick. Now I say hello to you, a tough transition. I couldn't think of anything else there, but I did want to shout that out at the beginning of the show because I think it's important. First off, a lot of people listen to the beginning of the show as as data will tell you, but um, what's happening right now and it, it's, you know, it's a combination. We talk about this all the time with these irregular weather patterns. It's global warming. The earth's getting hot. You know, the joke used to be the ice caps are melting. They kind of are folks. I live, you know, in a city that's at sea level and the sea, the oceans are rising, right? And they're rising an inch every year, right? or uh, Whatever it is, the data points. So, Things like this continue to happen. Um, the former president said something asinine. We're going to get to him in a second about this would have never happened under his administration. Of course, it would have happened under the administration. It's happening under everybody's administration because we continue to ignore the climate crisis that's in front of our face. Um, I say hello to you, my friend. Thoughts on on, on the Hawaii stuff that's happening and, and how are you doing, obviously?
2: No, you know, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm grateful because, I mean, you know, recently for us, it's just it's business as usual, you know. I, I'm I I have the joy of being able to be with my family. You know, we're not in a place where you know wildfires are rolling through. Um, you know, and as you were sharing that story, I think for anyone listening to this, you know, the natural reaction is to you know, sort of take a deep breath and recognize recognize how how good you have it. It's a weird thing sometimes. You think sympathy, but at the same time, it's also gratitude too. You know, the irony about the human experience is that the best comes out of us in the toughest of times. Um, I remember you know, how people ran to the buildings on 9-11. I remember how people came together during Hurricane Sandy, you know, and what we have here is an opportunity to rally again, you know, whatever people are able to donate, you know, your dollars, your cents, your food, just showing care to those folks over there anything you're able to do is, is appreciated. And as Mike mentioned, there'll be links posted for every one of us to take actions. And truly, you know, while there are many crises that we all are exposed to, if all of our efforts, every time we encounter the worst that life can throw at us is to show in even the smallest of ways an effort toward helping the greater good, it's, it's a worthwhile battle to fight. So obviously you know, the rest of the country and the rest of the world but primarily the US is just paying attention to what's happening happening in Maui you know on the social media side a lot of folks have come forward you who know, have had amazing experiences there you know whenever we talk about Hawaii Hawaii just always sounds it's just dreamlike I mean it's the pursuit that every one of us has it was the ultimate vacation and but it's also part of our country and right now it's a place that's suffering uh, I know recently Oprah you know has uh, talked it was currently on the ground out there. But has also talked about making donations as well. Others are coming forward and every little bit helps. But again, you don't have to be Oprah to make that sizable contribution. Anything you're able to do in any in small way, whatever you want to judge it as is going to make a difference. So if you are within earshot of us today, as you hear this show, and of course, thank you for listening. Please, please take action. You know, to that end, Mike, you talked about about global warming and climate change. And You know, my reaction when I was reading this story was to sort of for me to tamper that down, because I tend to be the voice that, you know, tends to like you bang the drum and remind people that these are not random coincidences. This is not. These things are all tied to a very dangerous and common thread. But at the moment, I'm sitting with the fact that there are people suffering out there currently at 95. I've seen numbers as high as up to 99, you know, people who are no longer with us. But just to see the photos of what had once been a vibrant community is now, it looks like a gigantic flamethrower, just ran shot through it. And that's the priority right now is just to think about these folks and ta- take actions for them, while also recognizing the fact that there is a larger battle to fight that we have to continue to to make people aware of and have really engaged conversations and informed conversations about. What as a, as a global society, as human beings, are we going to do to prevent the next crisis like this from taking place?
3: Again, uh, uh, first time, you know, podcasting, one of the keys to podcasting is being able to talk and form sentences so that people listen to it. I, I, I have nothing folks. We, we, we see these happen all the time. They're, they're tragic. And your heart goes out to not only Mike, as you listen to him talk about how harrowing it was over those three hours in the ocean and, and possibly telling his wife that goodbye, you know, um, that's tough. And you know, that there's other people that are no longer with us anymore in the loss of life is terrible. Um, like I said, head to our show notes, bunch of links in there of places to donate, whatever you can folks, you know, please give it to the folks out there in Maui. Um, As best as I can transition into our first segment, and probably our only segment, Nick, uh, as we wait for Corey Nathan to hop on in the second segment with us. Um, Witnesses testified today before the Georgia grand jury. Again, as we're recording, this information is probably going to be a little bit dated, but you're probably waking up or listening to this whenever you are. And now you know that the former president of the United States has been indicted In Georgia, the Fulton County Clerk confirms again, as of this recording, that there are ten indictments that are coming down. It's not unsealed yet, so we don't know who it actually is. As of this recording, the TV cameras that were in the courtroom, they captured Judge Robert McBurney signing documents in his courtroom after they were handed in the clerk's office, and the images of the paperwork. There was photos that were taken of the images of the paperwork. It was captured right before the judge gave his signature. The paperwork indicates that the grand jury didn't vote against any of the indictments presented to it as of Monday. And the paperwork also doesn't list any of the defendant names. But we know, obviously, that the former president of the United States is being targeted in that investigation. And obviously, he's been sending out messages on True Social about Fannie Willis, the DA in Georgia. One of the big witnesses in this that testified uh, yesterday is former Georgia Lieutenant Governor Jeff Duncan and journalist George Cheaty. They both testified a day earlier. It was supposed to be on Thursday of this week. They testified a day earlier before the grand jury in terms of this case and the alleged efforts by former President Donald Trump to overturn the results in that state of Georgia. I want you to listen to what Duncan said to a reporter to ask him a question after he left uh, the courthouse on Monday night. Take a listen to this.
1: I hope my testimony gets the facts, uh, you know, as they are and helps to continue to paint a real and honest picture. But but politically speaking, this is a pivot point for this country to do something more than just stew on the on on the 2020 election cycle. Right. We're either going to, as Republicans, take our medicine and realize the election wasn't rigged. Donald Trump was the worst candidate ever in the history of the party, even worse than Herschel Walker. And now we're gonna to have to pivot from there, right? We wanna win an election in 2024. It's gonna to have to be somebody other than Donald Trump if we do it. So politically speaking, this is an important pivot point for our party, right? So go focus on the things that matter, to take this conversation to America, not to Twitter, not to 10 second sound bites, not to YouTube clips. This is taking this to the kitchen table. I think most Americans care about the economy. I think most Americans care about a porous border. I think most Americans care about national security and public safety. These are issues that we win as, as Republicans. As long as we make this about the, the three ring circus called Donald Trump, we're going to lose every time.
3: He mentions the former president there. And before this even broke, the bigger story of what was happening in Ohio where voters resoundingly rejected a Republican-backed measure that would have made it more difficult to change the state's constitution, and obviously that would have helped in terms of passing an abortion uh, bill there, Uh, and now voters voted against that, almost 58% uh, to 42% in that state on issue one, almost 3 million people turned out to vote about that. And so it's an indictment similar to what uh, the lieutenant governor there, the former lieutenant governor just said there about turning this into issues, running on issues and not running about the former president, because he's already got enough on his plate being indicted not once, not two, not three, to quote LeBron James, but now four times uh, in the state of Georgia. Again, all of this information that we have right now is as of the evening time and now uh, as we head into the week as you're probably listening to this he's probably been indicted and the indictment's been unsealed nick what do you make first of obviously the case we know what we all know about the different things that played out in public with respect to the phone call that donald trump made to uh raffensperger over there the former secretary of state in georgia Uh, Not so much pressuring him, that's going to have to be determined in the eyes of the legal system, but saying, I just trying to find 11,000, however many votes that he needed to actually win the state. That phone call, that was about 30, 40 second soundbite from about close to a 45 minute to an hour phone conversation. There's other parts of this, right? Uh, Lindsey Graham calling as well to try to pressure, or at least, again, in the eyes of, of the legal system, we'll find out if it was pressuring. If he's going to be labeled as a co-conspirator in there, there was Rudy Giuliani being the former uh, president's attorney and what he did in some of the different court proceedings that happened down there. He's been called to testify a few different times down there. So, what do you make of? The indictment and the potential charges, the case itself, this is one that we've had legal analysts on here that say this is the one that's got the most teeth because it actually has sound right, from the former president asking for this stuff when he knows good and well he's lost the state. Yeah, the
2: DA is looking into a racketeering charge. Now, again, we don't know what the indictments are covering. We don't know who's going to be named, but we had on a guest, and Mike is really our show historian, so I mentioned this guest. He may remember who I'm talking about, but you know, we had a guest on that talked about that Georgia's election laws are some of the tougher ones in the country, yeah. and when this conversation came up, we talked about like what are the you know, legal issues that Trump's team should you know, mostly keep them up at night, and this was the one that people had talked about. You know, So I'm reading that the DA is pursuing or looking into like you know, racketeering, because Mike, you just mentioned a moment ago. You mentioned three people who've all made efforts to try to overturn an election. If what they're trying to pull together in in Georgia is the evidence that this is all part of a conspiracy, that these people are all working as part of a shared initiative, they may get potentially a charge like that. And again, over the next, the DAs, they're talking now about at least need like three hours before they're going to move forward with putting out more information to the public. So we're all going to need to sit and wait on this. By the way, that was
3: Maya King- the New York Times reporter, she's based in Georgia, covered a lot of this. She's the one that came on to tell us about that stuff. I want to shout out Maya because you can check out Maya's work over at NewYorkTimes.com. But also, she's done some great stuff breaking down Georgia's election laws, like you said, which are one of the strongest in the State of the Union. Um, and she did that stuff uh, over on Up First, the New York Times podcast. So go ahead. I didn't want to in- interrupt
2: the train of thought. No, no. Th- but- and thank you, for, but thank you for you know putting a face to that. You know, but it also gives us a little bit of hope from a political conversation in the sense that, you know, Mike just played a clip, you know, of someone who is talking about the future of the Republican Party. Now, for most people who listen to this show and who are critical of me and call me a, a liptard or whatever you you know, what you want call me. That's true. I, I tend to lean, you know, toward the Democrat Party. It is what it is. But we need two parties to play in good faith to really move this country forward. You know, if we only have one you know, sound political party, that dangerously becomes an autocracy. So we need both parties to be sensible. I say all that because what you heard a moment ago from that clip is sensible. You know, There is a Republican in Georgia who's pleading to people that we need to pivot, that the party needs to pivot away from Donald Trump. We have the governor of Georgia. I'm not a fan of Brian Kemp. In both cases, I support Stacey Abrams, not as a voter, obviously, but you know, I supported her platform. But even the Governor, as a Republican, was not going to to be ok with this idea of finding eleven thousand votes. So, you know, there are sensible Republicans who recognize that Donald Trump, at least as a candidate, has gone down some just really pernicious rabbit holes and is not the candidate that should help you know, move this party forward. Unfortunately, he is still resoundingly the most popular choice from every poll that we've seen. And he is still, if you, if Mike and I were at in Vegas or any sports book right now, it would be insane for us to put our money on any other candidate. Now, Granny, you should always do that because underdogs sometimes, you know, have a high payoff and, you know, we could talk about all that. But the majority of your money is going to go to Donald Trump. So, For any sensible Republican out there, the joke's on you. Like this has been basically decided. In fact, you know, next week when we have our conversation after the debate on August twenty third, the leading candidate is not going to be there. There's no reason for Donald Trump to be there anyway. The Mike has talked about before, but the reality here is that you know is a fourth indictment. Again, not about the former president. We do not know who's been named yet, but this is yet another indictment involving election an attempted election theft and we'll have to see what this comes out of and if it is the former president who's been named that's four indictments over the last few months going into 2024
3: you know one thing that duncan said there in the sound that you just heard from him outside of the courthouse as he was asked by a reporter um one of the things that he said there was about issues right the economy securing our border you know, policy things, right, that, that, that we should be getting into, right, which is we're going to get into with Corey in just a second. Some of that stuff is a little bit more boring, right, whereas the fear mongering is a little bit more of the selling point and the newsworthy point of this. But I kind of touched on it because I wanted to bring up the Ohio uh, vote that happened a mid-year, well, August, yeah, technically mid-year vote on a referendum um, that now, almost 3 million people went to the ballot box just to vote for this one thing. There was nothing else on the ballot that day, Nick, nothing else on the ballot. No, we're not voting for any governor. When i not voting for any key positions, you know, at local government or at the state courthouse or anything like that, we're not voting for anything. We're voting for one single thing. No on this to expand the state's constitution or, or yes on this. And over, you know, overwhelmingly 58 to 60% of people said no Um, And I think that kind of feeds into Duncan's overall point, because if we're going to be talking about issues heading into 24, this doesn't bode well for the GOP party, just like what we saw in Ohio, what we've seen in Kansas. And now what you're seeing with a potential fourth indictment for this guy, or what do you make of it overall? Because you heard a little bit of what he said there, and I saw you you kind of nodding your head. And then he hit a, a buzzword or maybe a talking point there. And you're like, well, wait a minute, hold on one second. But what do you make of all this as, as the lefty on the show, as you've mentioned, because I'm with you on this. Um, if we're going to talk about the actual issues, right. And, and voters as voting trends, and you can follow Frank Luntz or Harry Enton, who we've had on the show who's going to be coming back on, who does a great job in breaking down voting uh, polls and stuff like that for CNN, They've all pointed to this where people are now focused on single issues. They vote for a candidate because that candidate is this way or that way about a single issue. And that's so important to them, top of mind to them, that they're going to vote that way. If they're going to vote that way, Donald Trump doesn't check a lot of those boxes on some of these issues. And also, by the way, of all the people in the GOP field, and we're going to be covering the GOP debates coming up soon in Fox News next week. He's the only one on the criminal indictment in four different states. So what do you make of what happened in Ohio and how it kind of plays out nationally now as we're getting into the first primary debate happening with the GOP next week? If
2: a question about the the stance of everyone on that stage on a woman's right to choose is not one of the first questions asked, it's a failed debate. We've seen now... I'm not one to brag about my social media presence. Every now and then, Mike will give me a credit because I'll, I'll you know, I'll hit one of these dingers out of the park. But you know, a week ago, when Ohio makes its vote, um, you know, Charles Pierce, who's a really good writer, he's been at Grantland. He's written for numerous periodicals. Just put out, put out a post about making sense of what happened. And I simply replied, he asked a question about like, why is this still an issue about trying to put forward an abortion argument? And I simply wrote something that later, you know, like 12,000 people viewed, I guess, which is cool and all. But, and I bring this up because the reality is, and my point was that this continues to be a loser issue, but there's two things here. One, it's a loser issue nationally, Ohio, Kansas. We have seen over and over again, when you put Any conversation in a vote about a woman's right to choose, you lose, even in states you don't think you would. And essentially what happened with the Supreme Court, you know, null of basically ending Roe versus Wade as a precedent, and you left it to 50 states to decide and state after state after state, Michigan can be included on this list, too, by the way, has made it abundantly clear you will not make this a an anti-abortion state. And I brought that up because there is this contingent of people in the media that try to, and Mike and I had this conversation with a you know with a member of Planned Parenthood months, years, a year ago, I believe, where they we keep getting this un, we keep getting inundated with the idea that there is a sizable number of people who do not want a do not believe in a woman's right to choose, a sizable enough amount. Mike, how many L's is this group going to take before we all realize that it's a fallacy, that there is not enough people out there that are even worth having the conversation about whether the law should stand behind a woman's right to choose? It's a loser issue for conservatives, but they keep coming back and bringing it up. I had one person respond to me that this is still a good fundraising issue and forget the user's name. Thank you for replying to it. But the reality is you're wrong on that. This is not about money. This is about trying to control women, and it never seems to work. So now you're going to have a dais of all these candidates next week, and when they run, the winner goes forward and takes on Joe Biden. November 2024, the number one issue that's going to bring everyone to the polls is a woman's right to choose, young people and suburban mothers, specifically white women. I talked about this a year ago when we talked about when the the Virginia election, right? You know, we saw Glenn Youngkin win it, and we talked about suburban white moms at the time and the role that they played. This is the conversation. When you look at the metrics, white women, young voters, very, very powerful voting demographics, both of which believe in a woman's right to choose. And the Republicans have painted themselves in the, into a corner. So when you ask me about Ohio, what I would just put up as the big old wall is considered exhibit triple a at this point of how foolish an argument was and this is basically trump's frankenstein put three people on the court who go ahead and make and end the precedent roe versus wade and it's come back to bite republicans in the ass over and over and over again uh when we come back
3: after the break cory nathan the host of again one of my favorite podcasts out there talking politics and religion without killing each other he's going to be joining us we're going to get into some of this stuff and how trump has captured the evangelical vote More with Corey when we come back after the break.
0: It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind.
3: This episode is presented by our friends, our good friends, over at Fresh Roasted Coffee. The coffee that's keeping me awake when Nick Savary is putting me to sleep with one of his trains of thought. You you give me a look here, Nick. Uh, Give me a little bit of how Fresh Roasted Coffee keeps you awake when I'm
2: boring you with some of my trains of thought. Okay, thank you. (laughs) Interesting introduction. Folks, I'm a huge fan, as you all know, of Fresh Roasted Coffee, primarily for the simple fact about diversity if you're a tea person they've got you covered if you're a coffee person they got you covered too mike and i take our coffee very differently mike is a keurig man that is efficient that is tasty That's the way to go i am a french press person nowadays i actually grind my own beans so when i get my batch of fresh roast coffee it goes right into the grinder then to the french press boiled water let's go but in either case our cup of coffee comes out delicious mostly because they ask you at the jump what's just tell us about you simple quiz they'll direct you to the bean or brand that you you should be getting in touch with and that's the way to go and then they just produce an incredible cup of coffee again regardless of how you do it no that's exactly right you can take the quiz over at FreshRoastedCoffee.com,
3: and in the show notes page right now of this episode hit the link for a discount Or enter in the promo code after you've taken the quiz, after you've selected the coffee you're going to order. Enter in the promo code, can we please get 20, for 20% off your first purchase. I'm telling you, this coffee is delicious. Go to FreshRoastedCoffee.com today. All right, Nick, uh, a few weeks ago, I happened to be rummaging through Instagram, scrolling my feet, as the kids would like to say, and all of a sudden popped up this show that I thought was so appropriately titled, I, I couldn't stop thinking about the title of this show. I'm very jealous that this is not the name of our show, even though we don't talk too much about religion, but it was called Talking Politics and Religion Without Killing Each Other and started listening to some of the episodes. They had Larry Wilmore on that you know, Nick, from... Uh, the Office and obviously The Daily Show. And I was just listening to this and I was just like enthralled with this show, like the title, the the goals, a lot of synergies between what we try to do here at Can We Please Talk. So I invited the host of that podcast on, Corey Nathan joining us here on the show. Corey, Mike and Nick, thank you so much for hopping on the podcast with us.
1: I appreciate it, Mike, but I got I got to take issue with you right out of the gate, man. Oh. Well, I oh. mean, you're, you're from Jersey. So of all people to get this Title right, it's you. It's talking, talking. Not with the uh, G. You said the G. You're talking all proper, talking. talking See, that's Hilly.
2: the that's the Harrison right there. That's, See, that's <laughs> right. his backstory is he grew up in the Bronx, but then moved up to Harrison, New Jersey. Yeah, yeah. Harrison that's, slipped out right there. That's what that is. That that's
3: is awesome. that's a that's a great point. You know, I I forgot that you took the G off of that. Well, you know what? We're gonna let's get into this right now okay. because I'm so curious about your backstory. I've heard you on a few other podcasts and stuff like that, and you've done some other appearances. And just this this idea of religion and politics, we're going to get into how the GOP has really taken religion as their own. And you can't be a Democrat if you're religious for some reason, which is weird. We're going to get into that in a bit. But um, I'm curious from your perspective, like what made you start this show? Give us a little bit of your backstory and some of the goals that you are seeking to aim with this show.
1: Yeah, so I. I the short story is i grew up in an observant jewish family we went to an orthodox synagogue but then in my late 20s i became a christian and the reason that that's relevant is i grew up a certain way uh and then when i when i went this other route i came to these theological conclusions as one could imagine i had to have some really difficult conversations with my family why did i do this thing you know why did why did i Becoming a Christian is it, there's not too many things that could be worse than going home to your observant Jewish family and telling them you're you're a Christian and there's a lot of reasons be historic reasons behind that. But the other thing that happened on the politics side is I realized very quickly this is the early 2000s I realized very quickly that. Some of what primarily defined my church community wasn't the theological co- conclusions that I had arrived at it was political and social positions they might not necessarily that my friends that i went to bible study with and friends that i went to church with might not necessarily own up to that but that's the truth and you see it now more than ever uh you 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 know you describe uh a a you know uh, a person of color who basically did not have a home for much of his work life and and his ministry was leaning a certain way and if you just read through the sermon on the mount You know, a lot of people who are who refer to themselves as evangelicals today would say, yeah, get that crap out of here. Who the hell said that? You know, and you could be quoting directly from Scripture. You could be quoting directly from the Gospels. Well, I saw the seeds of that very early on when I became a Christian. So I'd often find myself in in difficult conversations, uncomfortable conversations about politics with my buddies from church. As far as politics and religion, I just realized more so than any particular ballot measure, any particular politician that you're voting for, voting voting against, it was the, the ability to have these difficult conversations and what some of our reflexive reactions when somebody said something or when somebody, when I would say, you know what, Sarah Palin, not my cup of tea. You know, I was a big McCain fan, but like when Palin started speaking, I was like, yeah, she's... it it was like a domino effect. All of these things started going off for my friends at church who were like, oh, well, you must be some sort of socialist. You're not a patriot. You're this, you're that. I'm like, where did you get that from? Like, I'm not a big Sarah Palin fan, you know? Like, so it, it was a passion of mine to be able to do this thing better because political issues, theological issues are important. They're important because it's how we live among each other. Figuring out how to be a people together, how to go through this life thing, this country thing, this church thing together, and we weren't even we weren't even doing the first step well in terms of having those conversations. So I I wanted I discovered podcasting, uh, produced uh, my first few shows, and when I felt like we were ready, this was definitely on my heart. Going back to you know at least two thousand two.
2: There's so many places to go here. Because <laughs> at first you will you mentioned 2020. I'm gonna go there with you then. So yeah, where our shows basically share a close birthday. You know, we started our program in fall of 2020 as well, you know, somewhere okay. around November and just getting yeah. you know ready for the elections. So, you know, Corey, with that in mind, you know, the intention of your show at its you know origin point, is that still sort of the mission statement, the driving force of the program now, or over you know, now soon to be three years, has has some of your north star changed of what you hope the show is what it does for its listeners
1: it is definitely evolving because i i've learned about other organizations and other individuals that are in this general space so i like to collaborate with others that are doing work uh, along the lines of what our mission is and our mission is pretty clear it's talk politics and religion without killing each other doing this thing better right so you know you can look at braver angels, you can look at Village square you can look at any number of organizations that are doing this really really well and i'm in, I'm trying to get involved in more of those uh with more of those folks um but I would say that the the mission is still ultimately the same and it's a good compass because i uh, oftentimes I'll go down a rabbit hole uh for a few weeks or even a couple of months and I'll realize oh okay well i i just i was thrilled to talk to whoever, John Popper, another Jersey boy. What a thrill to get to talk to Popper. And we ended up talking about politics and religion, but like, I go down a rabbit hole. I'm like, okay, what is it that we're really trying to do? We're trying to figure out, talk to people that exhibit the kinds of virtues, whether it's as a journalist, as an elected official, or any, some kind of other public figure like Larry Wilmore, who's contributing to our culture and learn from people that I respect Especially if there are things that I disagree with that person about how we can do this better. Right. And I've learned so much along the way. And the thing is, I think a lot of folks might be under the impression that I'm doing it because I'm like the guru of doing this thing so perfectly. It's not. I'm like the worst student in the in the class. That's why I feel like I need to continue going to this class. So, yeah, it's evolved. We've taken a couple of rabbit trails. Um, but ultimately the compass is how do we do this thing better? How do we talk about these important issues across our differences in a better way? So one of my favorite conversations was a couple, uh, about a month ago, a guy that I graduated high school with, and he's a big, you know, MAGA guy. He wouldn't call himself a MAGA guy, but at the end of the day, he's, you know, watching Fox news all day, every day. He's a MAGA guy. Um, but he's always, he, he always pipes in on social media. And uh, you know he does it with like, it's basically like, I listen to some of the opening monologues of like a Sean Hannity show or um, Mark Levin or the Will Cow majority. I'll listen to some of those shows just to hear how their line of thought goes. Um, and to see if maybe there's some things I agree with, or at the very least to learn or listen to, um, there's some others that I find at times pretty persuasive actually, uh, like Shapiro at times can be pretty persuasive. Um, but so I'll listen to those shows. And it's funny because my my buddy, John, he's basically, it's like he's, he has a diet of Sean Hannity and everything he says to me is a regurgitation of something that Hannity said that day. Um, so I had, I had John, this guy, uh, John DeRoyan on my show. And it was one of my favorite conversations because it started with about John's life and how he got to that point and why he believes what he believes, as opposed to getting into some, you know. Monkeys throwing you know, poop at each other. uh it was two human beings talking to each other, and me ha- coming to a better understanding of why he has certain beliefs uh, politically that he does
2: or to that end, you know you, as as you were talking about the Beatitudes, you know and the Sermon on the Mount, it can't you know what comes to mind for me is I think about historically, when we think of the New Deal. You know, we think of at some point, Truman, you know, trying to advocate for, you know, a better healthcare system nationally. What seemed to be, you know, some of the tenets of, of Christian ideology in terms of service at some point, And as I say all this, I'm looking at my screen and there's a story recently from PBS about Michael Flynn and Amer- just essentially like Christian nationalism. You know, which is oh, Michael Flynn, Flynn yeah. Michael
1: slash put your Bible aside, Flynn. Is that the that's, Michael Flynn we're talking it,
2: about? It, that's exactly who we're talking about. And, <laughs> and that, that goes to what I'm sort of sitting with, which is this feels like something that maybe is being built out in America, perhaps. But where what seemed to be the idea of service and the core tenets of Christianity, um, but. At some point, did America just sort of lose its understanding of of the message of Jesus or the Gospels You know, sort of being pushed to the side? Like somehow in the, the back and forth of our political discourse, we've somehow warped what seemed to be a novel, not novel, but an important idea about service to others to somehow being a weakness and something that a portion, at least 40% of Americans find to be something that we should not be pursuing as a country how do we arrive here and how do you it sounds like you deal with this in real time with the conversations that you have with others
1: yeah I mean we could get really theological and go to the first part of the Ten Commandments which is thou shalt have no other God before me now uh I'm not going to go too deep into that rabbit hole you know because not I'm I'm guessing that not everybody who's listening to this is a Christian or Jewish but there is something to that so if you take folks who refer to themselves as evangelicals or even folks who genuinely do go to church every week and are, are really believe in the authority of scripture and the 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 tenets and the virtues that are espoused therein um the the da- the most dangerous um temptations is not the temptations that are 180 degrees off it's not like you know somebody who intuitively knows that murder is wrong that stealing is wrong those aren't the temptations that are the most dangerous. The temptations that are most dangerous are five degrees off of what we know to be right. So you take you take um, that. That's where thou shalt have no other god before me. That so so idolatry is. You can if you have a figure that is co opting the language of Christianity. That to me is much more dangerous because you can then start to strip away the other virtues. You know, there's a, there's another piece of scripture in the new Testament. Um, the, the fruit of the spirit, which is like, what is good? What kind of characteristics should a good person have love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, self-control. The guy who, used to occupy 1600 Pennsylvania Avenue, has none of those things, right? Or if you look at love, what does it mean to love? Perhaps the highest virtue. Love is patient, love is kind. It does not envy, it does not boast. That dude and a lot of his followers embody the exact opposite of that. But what is it? He's stolen and hijacked words like truth, truth social. They've stolen and hijacked other good words like evangelical in the the religious realm. Yeah, I'm an evangelical. Of course I'm an evangelical. I follow Trump, is is how the thinking goes. I'm a good evangelical fool, and therefore I follow Trump. Or or even in the um, you know, the civics realm, like Patriot. How did Patriot become a stacked word? How did the American flag? I see a big American flag waving, and it's sad to say, I think I know a lot about that guy already who's driving that big truck with the big wheels. That's sad, you know. By, by the way, for the record my kid i'm not going to tell you he's my favorite kid but he's my favorite kid right now anyway <laughs> he's got a big truck with big wheels you know but um so but it shouldn't it shouldn't be stacked before i even meet the human being who's driving that truck it shouldn't be stacked before i meet the person at who lives in that house that's waving the big old flag but a lot of these symbols and a lot of these words have been hijacked. It's a it's an idolatry and it's an, a dangerous idolatry because it doesn't look the opposite of what we think good virtues are or god godliness is. It looks just enough like it that we will follow, right? So that's what we got to be on guard for. And I think a lot of the folks who refer to themselves as evangelicals—and this is not a new problem, by the way—this is a historic problem going to at least going back to at least the time of Constantine. You know, once we started mixing uh civics or or the idea of nation or the idea of empire with religion then it becomes a dangerous project that we're involved in so i don't know if that answers your question but like that's a lot of the it's not a new problem but that's a lot of what's going on
3: well you know it actually funnels into the follow-up question that i have for you corey which was you know before this recording you know i started looking up uh, the evangelical vote for donald john trump previously in the 2020 and 2016 election 81% of the 81, white yeah. evangelical Christian vote in 2016, 75% in 2020. And I sit here with this dichotomy that I live because I worked at Fox News for a few years. I would hand scripts to Sean Hannity from 04 to 06. Uh, I am a Christian, right? And I And there are parts of me that just don't agree with the philosophy of this modern day Republican Party. So I'm curious for your perspective, because you've had so many different people that not only have been on this show, but are also journalists. They cover this, the voting issues. People say that they're now single uh, voter issues, like they'll vote on a specific issue. If this is a referendum on abortion, I'm going to vote on that because that candidate believes in X, Y, Z. Two-parter, how has the Republican Party taken Christianity away from people that live on the Democratic side of the aisle that are Christians themselves. And then also on the flip side, the messaging part of this, how do you message? You just said a a little while ago in the response to Nick's question about um, some of the stuff from scripture doesn't fit the profile of that voter. How does the Democratic Party in your estimation message to that voter and say, hey, you believe in these things? These things are against it. This is antithetical to what you what you say you subscribe to. Yeah. so how would you how do you think the Democratic Party should message to that base, which is has a, a stronghold right now on the GOP side? And then how do you think the GOP has really taken Christianity and made it like their own
1: Yeah, so the as far as the GOP or what used to be known as the GOP, how did they hijack or co-opt? Christianity as their own that's a project that's been going back since at least the 60s, Um, there were certain operatives uh, that recognized certain issues. Um, I i'll even say, and this can be a much longer conversation, but I would even say that it goes back to uh, segregation late segregationists uh, in the 60s that then identified other issues like when Roe v Wade got passed in I guess that was 73. that then hitched their wagon to these other issues, and then started expanding it through the 80s. Uh, Jerry Falwell with the moral majority. Um, there, there were these movements that had been building up, and then there, I think there are other ingredients that only exacerbated these trends that were going in a certain way. Like if you look at Fox News, their agenda is not necessarily to, uh, to be a news organization, their agenda is a business organization. And I don't fault them for that. But it is what it is. And they recognized Rupert Murdoch recognized that anger cells and fear cells, not necessarily the hard news. Otherwise, he'd be doing a version of PBS NewsHour. That's not what they're doing. They've been doing this thing since get since the get go. Um, Rush Limbaugh discovered that once uh, in 87, the the law passed. I forgot the name of the the law that allowed for political radio to take hold but Rush Limbaugh discovered this entertainment oriented news ish type stuff and he recognized what was expanding his audience rage and fear um, as well as divisiveness you know you turn on Rush Limbaugh and his he was he was entertaining but he found a really entertaining way of saying Clinton is wrong Clinton is stupid I was right by my book you know so Fox News figured out the same thing and they they just built a whole media ecosystem uh based on that. Uh, so the divisiveness is we've gotten to a point through that because we're being fed all of this information to the point where someone couldn't even imagine the possibility of voting for a democrat. They're just they've grown up this way. They forgot what the Southern Baptist Convention's stance on abortion was. Circa 1972, and it was a much more nuanced stance. It looked a lot more like what Chris Christie's stance is. You know, uh, they believe in in you know life at conception and protecting an unborn life, with the exception of rape, incest, and and life and health of the mother. They even had a more uh, uh, liberal, if you want to call it that, stance than what Chris Christie has, because they talked about the health of the mother, the emotional and mental health of the mother, uh, in their statement in the early 70s before Roe v. Wade. Um, so even the Southern Baptist Convention had a much more nuanced stance on, on abortion, but the the factors in our culture have made it so that uh, individuals who are consuming that, that's what they're feeding their brains, um, and that's, that's what they're embodying, uh, they can't imagine the possibility of voting for a Democrat. Now, how should the Democrats message accordingly? I don't necessarily think that's the project. I think the project first is weaning somebody off of the crack cocaine uh that you know the the political social entertainment content oriented crack cocaine that they're shooting into their their minds every day via fox news and uh, these other um these other programs you know put it down put it away put yourself give yourself a, a news fast give me one day can you do one day give me two days and let's talk at the end of two days see what see if if you've been thinking about this stuff in a little bit of a different light, get, get, you know, wean yourself off of that stuff, and maybe allow for the possibility that there's a good reporter that works, dare I say it, for the Washington Post. If you can't understand, like, and same thing with me, I, like, I found good reporters, hard reporters that work for Breitbart. I found good reporters that work for Fox News. I found good journalists that work for a lot of these organizations. You just have to be discerning and find... Find who they are. I say that to my friends uh, that I go to church with, or, or other friends that um, you know are very hard right. I say, well, do me a favor. You know, I'm not asking you to read the entirety of today's Washington Post and New York Times, but go look for a Bob Costa story. Look for a story that Bob Costa. If you if you can't come back to me, read three Bob Costa stories. If you can't come back to me and tell me that he's a good reporter, regardless of where his his uh, stories show up, then we're, we're just. You're just not an objective person you don't know what news is you don't know what journalism journalism is and then we have a di- have to have a different conversation and maybe you know, maybe we should go to a, a CO a, a Community college class together to figure out what that actually is.
3: Well, Corey, I got to be honest, because I got a follow up to that. Uh, One of the things that we've done on this show is media literacy. You don't need that community college class. You got two uh, journalism grads here from Rutgers University. You got one that went to Connecticut School of Broadcasting. And then the other one that I just told you would put some of this stuff in the prompter that the person's reading. There's a reason why Fox Nation is still around and CNN Plus is not. There's a reason why PBS NewsHour gets 2.1 million. And that's not even close to what the 5 p.m. show gets at Fox News. And you said a lot of those things there. And I would argue, or at least piggyback on top of that, that there's a level of disingenuousness with a lot of these folks, specifically the ones that are in this content game, right? The Dan Bonginos, you mentioned Mark Levin, uh, you know, I, even Ben Shapiro, okay, as much as he could be persuasive, there's a level of disingenuousness that comes with it. They got to wake up every morning and say, This is what I'm going to do. The reason I know Nick and I are not rich is because we don't do that. We don't do that just yet. We don't commit fully to it. They're pot committed right now. They can't go back. At 901, when the president Biden saves the earth from blowing up with an asteroid, we're still going to run that Hunter Biden graphic because I already loaded it in the machine. And that's something that Sean Hannity can't get away from. Is he conservative? Sure. But can he come out in 901 and say President Biden have saved the universe from catastrophe? He can't do it, Corey. So my question to you would be, with your show, trying to get these polar opposites and these forces pulling against each other, to try to align them to just come to this middle, this common ground, as you have done in some of your episodes. What would you recommend to people right now? You said to shut it off for a day, news and stuff like that. Tough to do, but. What is something you would recommend to folks that are listening to not only our show, but your show? And they want to talk about these things and want to learn more about these things. But like, how do they interpret some of this stuff? How do they go about judging these folks? Because to the untrained eye, they they can't discern the difference between an opinion commentator, a journalist at that network, a host at that network. I know all of it because I've been behind the camera. What would you say to that person that's listening to this, that's listening to your show or even somebody in your friends group that's like, I, I don't understand. I, I, what, what's a way that I can vet some of this stuff? How would you uh, convey that to somebody that's listening to our program right now or even listening to your show?
1: Well, I would say a couple things. One is understand what's actually happening and you, you can find out. I mean, we have, you know, guys, I've had a few guys on, on the show and I'm sure, you, you know, a few of these folks, too. Uh, who Charlie Sykes comes to mind, Joe Walsh comes to mind. They both had national audiences, nationally syndicated radio shows. And they both told me something similar that they did. Their MO was to come in as conservatives. They're, they're part of the never Trump crowd, but both of them part of the never Trump crowd now, but as conservatives, when they had their national shows, they would come in and one of their most common tactics was to find something asinine that some Democrat, liberal, progressive did somewhere in the world, you know, one person and then make that the show of this is what they do. So to they call it nut picking. You take some nut somewhere who did something stupid and then you turn it into this is what the liberals do. Um, you know, and if you listen to a lot of the shows, it's, it's they a Mark Levin, uh, a, a Sean Hannity. They're all a, some version, some different version of each other. And they they go about it in such a way that they're educating their audience on them, and the them is broadly defined as anybody who does a bow down at the you know orange god, you know the orange uh, president god, uh, for, former president, um, or I, I'm being kind of you know curt about that, but anybody who's outside of their certain orthodoxy, right? So that's. That's labeled as rhinos, as never Trumpers, as liberals, as progressives, as socialists, as Marxists. So, but so number one, recognize that, right? But number two, and it's just as important, if not more important, don't give up on the rest of them, right? So I'm not saying so. If somebody says to me, "Yeah, I, I'm a big Ben Shapiro fan," you know, and I do like uh, one or two of the shows uh, in the I'm on the West Coast, so between five and eight o'clock on Fox News, but you know, I force myself to watch. MSNBC. I forced myself to watch Rachel Maddow, and I'm like, n- nothing against Rachel Maddow, but I'm like, that's not necessarily the way to go. Like, that's a whole different thing. Find good reporters. Read some Maggie Haberman. Re- read some Bob Costas. Read, some, you know, find good reporters. Understand what good reporters are, and and find them. So understand what the what the recipe is that's being followed by a lot of the folks that you're taking in on a daily basis, understand what it's doing to you. It literally is. If you listen to Denver Riggleman, uh, former Congressman who is uh, doing a lot of the intel for the January 6th uh, Congressional Committee, Republican, by the way, um, and he says the chemical reaction, the neuropsychological chemical reaction is almost exactly what happens, when, I referred to it as crack before, that's what happens. It's, a, it's, a, it's like a hit of crack, how your brain reacts to uh, confirmation bias, listening to how all those people are this and all those people do that, that's what that is, but again don't give up hope because there are good journalists doing good work um, and, and find some of them. Okay, so you can't bring yourself to read the Washington Post, fine. Uh, there there are plenty of other publications, um, there's uh, there, you know, New York Times, the, the Washington Post, you know, there's plenty of other publications, even, even Yahoo News, for, for goodness sake. You can find good reporters. The Hill. The Hill is a great publication. That's a nonpartisan publication. And there's some great reporting being done there. So those are the two things. Understand what's the the recipe, the formula that's being duplicated. But at the same time, don't give up hope because there's great journalism being done.
2: Corey, on the subject of, of messaging and thinking about, we said before about you know where the Democrats stand. Do you consider part of Joe Biden's success the fact that he is openly Catholic? Yeah. Talks about his faith, and it stood out more so than the other candidates in 2020. And even now, he seems to be the rare candidate who bridges the gap between what I would consider folksy, very organic display of faith, and just open about it, coupled with really sort of mastering and understanding and making clear the Democratic platform. Is that sort of the secret sauce that he's got going on?
1: Well, it's a genuine faith. I, I think that his faith is, is genuine. It's not this fast food rapping and I'm gonna use some you know, words to, to get, generate some clicks to you know, uh, some version of virtue signal, my Christianity. You, know, you, you, you learn some words and phrases and you appeal to that crowd. That's not what it is. It's a, it's a genuine grounded faith that comes through literally practice his practice of going to church every Sunday, his practice of taking communion, his practice of being in communion communion with the people that he goes to church with. Same thing with Barack Obama. I know people that 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 go to certain types of churches, fundamentalist churches, can't even imagine the possibility that somebody with a D before their name is a genuine Christian. But if you listen to Barack Obama's uh, story of faith, his his testimony, that dude that dude believes. He believes because of his family because of the influence that his wife has had on him you know and same thing with with joe biden but because they have a d before their name folks can't bring themselves to believe that it's well they can't be can't possibly be a real christian you, you know what that sounds like that sounds like the institutional church in in where my family's from ukraine you know that that Oh, well, those guys are wearing crosses on their helmets. Just the fact that they go to, you know, shtetls and burn down houses and literally behead my ancestors. Oh, no, no, no. But they're wearing crosses on their on cha- on their on their shields. Uh, so they must be the real Christians. But the faithful people, the people of God, no, no, no. They, they belong to a different political party. So they can't possibly be the real people of God, you know? So I, I recognize this. Be- maybe it's because I'm Jewish. Maybe because it's, I, I know my family's story. But I recognize this from a mile away um i i i am uh encouraged and inspired i like listen i don't agree with all of biden's uh positions on things but you know biden if you look at it what has been the secret to his success and yes his administration has been uh effective what what ha- what is the secret to it it's his ability and willingness to Negotiate across the aisle. You look at the biggest pieces of legislation, whether it was gun reform a little over a year ago, whether it was the uh, they called it the Inflation Act, but it was really about uh, prescription drugs and um, some things on the you know some energy policy. And who who negotiate? Who led negotiations on that? It was Manchin, the most conservative Democrat in the caucus. Who who led gun reform? It was John Cornyn, a Republican from Texas. Even recently here with the debt limit, he kicked everybody out of the room negotiated directly with, with Kevin McCarthy, the, the Republican you know, House Speaker, um, the Bipartisan Infrastructure Act, or even like in Foreign Affairs, he has bipartisan support in, in terms of what he's doing uh, in, in Ukraine. And arguably, he's repaired a lot of the damage that Trump himself did in terms of our allies in, in Europe in this instance. Um, and and he, he's, he's strengthened the, 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 the coalition of partners that we need around the world. As well as done the miracle helped it wasn't him personally, obviously, but his support of Ukraine has helped Ukraine do the next to impossible, which is stave off an entire empire that's falling down upon them. Uh, And and they're they're the bastion it on that line of democracy, what is that success, the success is bipartisanship it's not going to is going further to his left nothing, not that there's anything necessarily wrong with that, but he's that's not. He's the representative of the United States as a whole. So the idea that he's he's negotiating and collaborating with people to his right, he needs to do it because that's representative of the United States as a whole. So it's all I, to me that's all connected to his grounding in faith because he has a sense of the transcendent um, that allows him to tap into these transcendent virtues uh, and, and and thus remembers the humanity of his loyal opposition. Doesn't doesn't dehumanize a John Cornyn. Who led the gun legislation reform. He, 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 he humanizes him and works with him and collaborates with him. So I think it's all tied together.
3: Yeah. You know, Corey, before we let you go, and we could talk about this stuff all day, man. And by the way, I love some of the answers because you can see the emotion that, that, that is coming to you as you're responding to it. You know, as, as we're recording this, the former president of the United States is getting set to potentially face a fourth indictment in Georgia, election interference, the phone call that he made with Secretary Raffensperger down there in Georgia. He's already facing three other indictments. And the reason I'm bringing it all together is because some of it's intertwined into Uh, tackling our democracy, right? And changing some of the foundations of this democracy. You're part of a larger podcast group, the Democracy Group. It's a network of podcasts and the goal of helping listeners understand what's broken in our democracy. So Corey, I want to give you a couple of minutes here. Tell us A, about the Democracy Group and B, what is broken in our democratic system?
1: Yeah, it's a great network of podcasts. Uh, There are some larger ones that are in the top- you know half of one percent of podcasts in the world there's some other indies uh that that aren't quite don't have the scale of some of the bigger ones but what we're all doing together it, it is exactly what you said it's a network of podcasts that examines what's broken in our democracy but more importantly how we can work together to fix it uh so i just did a collaboration this week with the common ground committee and they have a couple of different podcasts how do we fix it is one of them and they they aired a, a conversation i had with Lene erickson um, on, you know, she, she belongs to the third way, uh, you, you know, we're all kind of doing some version of the same thing, trying to figure out, hey, w- what's going on here, you know, trying to diagnose the some of the ailments, and then identifying the prescriptions for how we can do it better. I've identified, that's talking about politics and religion, my friends, uh, Liz Joyner at, at Village Square, they've also identified that race is a big, and obviously it is, it's not, you know, so I work with Liz even outside of my network uh, of the Democracy Group network, I work with Liz and I help her produce uh, Village SquareCast. I also work with Lisa Sharon Harper. She's a, a wonderful scholar and, and social justice leader. Uh, and she has a show called the Freedom Road podcast. Uh, and she has an organization called Freedom Road. So anyway, the, the Democracy Group, we're all in this space. It's, it's uh, politics, it's race, it's our civics. Um, what's broken? I think number one, it is before we even have an opportunity to know someone is we've identified them. We take one data point about that person, and then we dehumanize them or mischaracterize their views and vilify them based on the fact that I had somebody do it to me, ah, you've only lived in Jersey and California in, in, uh, you know, you're a New Yorker and a Californian. What could you possibly and first of all, he doesn't have my biography correct but that's neither here nor there. But based on where I've lived he's already identified that you know everything he needs to know about me, um, and then begins to mischaracterize my own views I happen to be right of center, especially on fiscal issues. Um, you know, and, and and also goes about vilifying a guy like me, and we all tend to do that like me seeing the guy with the big, you know, uh, make America great again decal on his big old uh, uh, truck. Um, so. That's what's broken, is we begin to mischaracterize, um, generalize and vilify people based on one thing that we might know about them, one data point that we might know about them. That's problem number number one. So the the solution to that is rehumanize, right? And we can't do that in general. We can't do that cast a wand and like now the 330 million people who live in America, I've now rehumanized. No, no, no. A lot of folks get frustrated when you think about, oh, well, everybody is, you know, this way or that way. And, and our country has gone to crap because everybody, no, 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 I, I can't think that way. Um, you know, because you could frustrate yourself to, to no end when you think that way. What I can do is I can remember that my neighbor that I see on our walks every morning, he happens to have Fox News on all the time when I go into his house. But I go into his house and I have dinner. He's a great cook and his wife makes dessert. It's to die for He's originally from Italy. Uh, he's my buddy Pete. I call him P uh, Pierino, like uh, little little Pete, um, and a uh, great cook. Um, you know, so I instead of like, oh, he's got Fox News on. Forget it. I'm not going to have anything to do with him. No, he's my buddy. He's Pete. <laughs> you know, he's my neighbor. So one person at a time, remembering the humanity of them. They're a lot more than what bumper sticker might be on their car or what flag they might be waving in front of their house. They're a human being, a nuanced human being with a story. And the other one, the last one I'll say is what Braver Angels is all about. They'll remind you, if you do have the opportunity to get into a conversation with somebody, get get into it, but like get into it and tap into who they are as a human being. And and instead of saying, why do you think that with, and have a bunch of bullets that you're gonna fire at them, like rhetorical comebacks, instead of that, have this like curious, disposition, a default posture of curiosity about who they are. Well, what happened in your life? Like, tell me about your life. Like, how did you arrive at that conclusion? You know, I I talked to another buddy who, um, big uh, gun advocate and being out here in California, it's kind of a big deal for him, you know, because we have some of the most strict gun laws uh, in the country. Well, for him, it started when he was a kid. It was a, it was a rite of passage with his dad and his dad recently passed away within the last couple of years, so it's really it hits really close to home far be it from me to tell that guy. All the things he's wrong about when it comes to guns, first of all, he probably knows a lot more about it than I do. You know, so instead I could develop a relationship, maybe I can learn something about from him about the history of of gun legislation. Uh, but more so I can learn about him personally, I can learn about a guy who's devoted to his dad who reveres his dad. That's something that I can relate to, no matter how much we might disagree with about the legislation. So tap into human beings, invest in relationships, remember they're people, don't dehumanize people. These are just some of the things I think we can do.
3: Very well said. Talk in politics and religion without killing each other. And I left the G off just for you there. <laughs> Corey, Nathan, you do a great job with the show, my friend. Continued success to you, sir. Welcome back on the program anytime. Please stay safe, my friend.
1: Mike, Nick, thanks so much. You guys are fantastic. I really enjoyed talking to you. And I, I definitely hope to continue this conversation.
3: This episode of the podcast is presented by the good folks over at Nerd Focus, the original think drink that will boost your energy, concentration, memory, and focus. My co-host Nick Severi right now, sometimes he loses focus. Sometimes he has
2: trouble concentrating. Sometimes his energy is down. I have two kids and i work from home mostly of course i have trouble focusing yeah i i'm always looking for you know other opportunities you know to try to get my focus back i mean coffee is great but it's not sustainable to just drink nothing but coffee all day so i'm always looking for options well nick i have an
3: option for you because the good folks at nerd focus over there and you can check out nerdfocus.com or hit the link in our show notes which is going to have a special discount apply to checkout. But this drink, it's an energy drink that helps boost stamina and strength, enhance your focus and concentration. It ramps up motivation, provides alertness and stimulation. And most importantly, Nick, it improves your mood infused with powerful nootropics and performance, boosting nutrients and available in over 800 retailers throughout the United States. Nerd has proven itself to be the go to drink to increase your mental acuity, focus, concentration, memory and energy. Stop what you're doing right now. Head to the link in our show notes. You're going to get a discount for ordering this energy drink. There's a nerd in everyone. Go check out the good folks over at Nerd Focus. All right. Our thank yous there to Corey, Nathan, like I mentioned, the very well titled podcast talking politics and religion without killing each other go check out that show our thank yous to him so much happening with the trump indictment stuff we'll get into it in our next episode the gop debates are coming up soon we're going to be doing something on that with a republican strategist and a democratic strategist you want to watch the video portions of all the interviews we've done head over to our youtube channel type in can we please talk podcast we should pop right up audio podcast platforms you know by now apple spotify google shout out to everybody listens to us on Good Pods, shout out to Acast, our hosting platform. Can't do it without them. Can't do it without each and every one of you that listens to this program, and with some of the great conversations that we've had on this show. As always, I am Mike Leon, and I'm Nick saveri We'll see everybody next time.